All right, uh, a couple things I want to highlight. Uh, the first, as Aaron mentioned this, uh, in your worship folders is that connection card. And we want to connect with you, and mainly we want to know how it is that we can pray for you. So if you haven't yet, please take a moment sometime during the service and jot down a prayer request, and then you can either drop that off in the box at the back, or you can leave it on your pew. Online, you can either um, write your request in the comments, or you can click that prayer button, and then you'll connect with one of our hosts, and uh, we'll get that. And then we pray for those things every week. Every week we take time, and uh, we just want to be able to journey with you um, in this uh, uh, season. So please, let us know. Uh, The other thing is we have baptisms coming up on April 17th. Aaron mentioned that again. And I just, I want to implore that if you have not yet gotten baptized, after having received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's how the Bible commands us. So we were to uh, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we do that, the Bible tells us that we are saved. And then we are to respond to that salvation by baptism. Baptism is an public and outward demonstration and commitment of what God has done inwardly through Jesus. And so if that's you, if that's um, uh, something you're interested in, I would love a love an opportunity to chat briefly with you. We can do that after the service or we can do that in a different way as well. Um, also, you may have a question about infant baptism. I get that question a lot when this conversation comes up. And, uh, you know, that can be a special time. Um, we do something very similar. We just don't include the water part, and that is we have child dedications. And so whenever uh, parents want to dedicate their children, typically at a young age, we take time in our service. And, and we are basically in that effort saying, as a church, we're committed to show the love of God to this child and to be in support of this child's parents in doing the same. Uh, That isn't baptism. Uh, Baptism is a response after salvation. And so that's what we believe. That's what we believe the Bible teaches. And so that's what we do here is this believer's baptism. After you've received Jesus Christ, then you get baptized. And so, if, uh, if you, again, if that's you, please, uh, let's engage in a conversation. I could certainly answer more questions about that. April 17th, we already got about five, six people involved in that. It's going to be a great, great time of celebration. All right. Um, so nine years ago, I moved back to Minnesota with my family. I grew up in the Twin Cities in Apple Valley. Anybody from Apple Valley? Okay, all right. Anyways, so um, that's where I grew up, and then my wife and I met in Indiana. She grew up in Florida, so she loves me, come up to Minnesota. And uh, so we met in Indiana. We started our family there. Nine years ago, we moved back to Minnesota here, and uh, when we did, uh, we were in an apartment for a, a couple months until we found a house that we wanted to put an offer on. And while we were in that apartment, I, we got this Ikea bed uh, for my son. He was about three years old at the time. And it was one of those beds where it had like an, um, a mattress was on the floor. It was built kind of like a fort. And then it had a canopy on the top. Now, I am not one of those instructions people. 
That's just a curse that I've been given in my life. I don't follow the manual, right? Um, I like pictures, uh, but I tend to try to put things together, right? And so I uh, basically spent time looking at this piece and thinking, oh, this would fit here, and just putting it together. And then finally we got it all done, and I'm happy and proud to say that I actually did it well. I did it right. However, I built it in the living room, and it wouldn't fit through the door into my son's bedroom, which means I had to take it all apart, putting it back together. But then I looked at the manual, and you know what the manual said? Right before all the other instructions in big, bold letters, it said, put this together in the bedroom that you're going to use it. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. We don't do a good job sometimes of following instructions. And we're looking at that instruction specifically from the Holy Spirit. We looked at a story last week in Acts chapter 8. By the way, for those of you who don't know, we're going through a series for the entire year. We're studying the, the book of Acts. Acts is in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And uh, this is basically telling us about how the early church began Followers of Jesus. And last week we talked about uh, uh, Philip and how Philip followed the Holy Spirit's lead, received instruction, and then followed it, and how then we can do the same. And we're going to look at something very similar here today. Raise your hand. I'm going to put you all on the spot. Raise your hand if you've heard anything about the Apostle Paul from the Bible. Anything. All right. It's quite a few people. Raise your hand if you've heard um, about Paul on the road to Damascus. Raise your hand if that sounds familiar. Okay, fantastic. Um, Now, that's a given. Paul's a big deal. I get it. Um, how many books in the New Testament? We have, there's two sections of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Anybody, how many books in the New Testament? 27. Anybody know how many Paul wrote? Huh? Almost, yeah, 13. 13 books, right? 13, um, see, half would be 13.5, right? I, is that math correctly? I don't know. <laughs> um, almost half, right? 13 books, that's a lot. Paul's a big deal. He's a big deal. Actually, Paul's going to take over quite the narrative here in the remaining chapters in Acts. Not only that, but Paul is responsible really largely for an immense spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that, in the known world at the time. The big deal. And so, of course, this story of Paul on the road to Damascus, it's a big, it's a big deal too. You know, it's one that many of us have heard. Uh, But how, how much do we really know about what's happening in this story? Well, we're going to look at, um, at some of the specifics. Now, I want to just set the stage really, really quick. Um, in Acts chapter 7, at the very end of Acts chapter 7, somebody was killed. Who was that? Stephen, that's right. So Stephen, follower of Jesus, um, was the first recorded person to have been killed for his beliefs. He was killed by Jewish officials in Jerusalem. On that day, on that very same day, we see this in the first two verses of chapter 8, what what happened, what occurred? Immense persecution. 
So on that day that Stephen was killed, there was just this uh, skyrocketing effect of Jesus followers who were persecuted by Jewish and most likely Roman officials. All of them threatened by this idea of Jesus being God and Jesus rising from the dead, they wanted to see this squelched. As a result, we see in Acts chapter 8 that the followers of Jesus, because persecution just skyrocketed in Jerusalem, they fled to two regions. What were those? Judea and Samaria. And that because they fled, that the gospel was scattered as well. And then many, many, many more received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as a result. Now, Paul, Paul at this point was not a good guy. Paul at this point was notorious for persecuting, uh, uh, chasing down, imprisoning, and then seeing to the death of followers of Jesus. So much so, and we're going to see this as we go further into chapter 9. By the way, that's where we're going to be here today. Um, we're We're going to see how an individual in Damascus, his name is Ananias, he knew who Paul was. And he knew that Paul was coming to Damascus to capture, imprison, and most likely see to the death of Jesus' followers. Now, this is before social media. This is before uh, cell phones. This is before phones of any kind. This is before the U.S. postal system. I mean, this is before all of that stuff, and yet somebody in Damascus who was 150 miles from Jerusalem knew about Paul. He was that notorious. So this is where we're at. Paul is pursuing the followers of Jesus because they've been scattered. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, followers of Jesus. He went to the high priest, which is essentially kind of like the president of uh, uh, Jewish people at that time. Um, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that If Paul found any there who belonged to the way, that is the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. uh, One thing I forgot to mention, so um, Paul isn't Paul yet. He's referred to as Saul, um, but um, he gets a name change later. But for the sake of the time together here today, I'm going to refer to him as Paul. So I just don't want you to think I'm talking about two different people. Um, Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Let's move forward. As Paul neared Damascus on his journey, so remember, this is 150 miles. He's, uh, he's traveled 150 miles from Jerusalem uh, to Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, uh, Paul describes this event um, two other times. So this, Luke wrote Acts, so Luke is describing it here. But then in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, 
Paul um, is detailing these events again. And in one of those detailings, he mentions that this happened at noon. Why is that important? Because what's shining at noon on any given day? The sun. And so this light that shone around them, it had to have been so intense to have been not only distinct, but then also to cause Paul to fall to the ground. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. Now, whatever Paul saw, he wasn't sure who it was that was speaking to him. Notice what the voice says, and who is the voice? We, Jesus, that's right, thank you. Notice what the voice says to Paul. He says, why do you persecute me? Why is that, why is that important? Up to this point, Paul had been relentless. It says that he's, he's breathing this relentlessness. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like breath. It was so natural and so much a part of his life. Pursuing followers of Jesus, persecuting them, seeing to their imprisonment, and then seeing to them, seeing to their death. All this time, do you know who Paul thought he was serving by doing this? God. Paul was so anti-Christian, so anti-Jesus, that he literally believed that it was his godly duty, his godly service, to persecute and see to the imprisonment and death of these followers of Jesus, who had the audacity to say that Jesus, this guy, Paul was the same age relatively as Jesus was, that this guy who lived and breathed that Paul probably even saw and maybe even met was God? And that they had the audacity to say that he rose from the dead and is living today and that if you believe in him, that you can have eternal life. Paul believed he was doing God a service. But yet, what happens here? He sees, he recognizes something. In Acts chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, it says, Who are you, Lord? Saul, Paul asked. See, right away, he, he recognizes that this voice isn't just some random voice that is talking to him, but this is a divine voice. Whoever it is that is talking to him, he recognizes that this is God. And how does this voice answer? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Now, one of the things that many people do, uh, mistakenly, and understandably so, I suppose, because this is a very dramatic moment, is we tend to believe that the transformation in Paul's life happened here, in this moment. But that's not what happens. Paul's life isn't transformed. He doesn't come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in this moment. He doesn't make any decision in this moment. 
Instead, something else very important is happening with Paul because Jesus is pointing out that because he's persecuting God, he's sinning against God. All this time, Paul, you thought you were actually doing my will when in actuality, this whole time, you've been sinning against me. God reveals to Paul in no uncertain terms Paul's sin, which is huge because sin is the necessary ingredient that leads a person to repentance. And repentance is what is necessary in order for someone to recognize their need for a what? Savior. So God reveals to Paul his sin. You aren't persecuting people. You are persecuting God. But there were other people present. In verse 7 it says here, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless and they They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Why is this important? You ever think about that? Who were these companions that Paul had? I mentioned to you that this is detailed three times in the book of Acts. This this is the first time. The second time is in Acts 22. And the third time is in Acts 26. In 22 and 26, Paul himself is giving a detail of these accounts. And when you bring all those passages, those stories, those, de- those variations together, you, you recognize that Paul's companions also saw and experienced this incredible light. That this amazing light that had enveloped everybody around them and had caused Paul to fall to the ground, they were aware of and experiencing as well. Not only that, but it also tells us that they also heard a voice speaking directly to Paul. But they didn't understand the voice. It's interesting. Side note. It's interesting because it mentions in one of the later accounts that Paul gives that this voice was speaking in Aramaic. It is likely then, and many scholars believe, that these companions weren't Jewish, but they were instead Romans. Remember, Romans wanted to see the swell of Christianity squelch as much as Jewish officials did. And it wouldn't be far-fetched to think that Roman officials, Roman guards, Roman soldiers would be traveling with a delegate from Jerusalem to make sure that he's protected. And of course, them speaking Latin, they wouldn't understand Hebrew, but they saw the same light and they heard the same voice. So here's the question. Why didn't they experience transformation? We're going to get into that here in a little bit, but think about that. Why didn't they experience the same thing Paul did in making a decision to find and follow Jesus. Later on here in um, verses 8 through 9, it says that Saul, Paul, got up from the ground. 
But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Notice here that the blindness that that Paul experiences is not a result of the light, because if it was a result of the light, then who else would be blind? His companions. But it wasn't blind leading the blind. They could still see. So why is it that Paul was blind? Again, this is a physical manifestation of what God is seeking to reveal to Paul spiritually, inwardly. Paul is blind, and he needs to see. Blindness brings about utter dependence. That is the the posture that we must take when we confront God, is dependence on him for every need. Paul's not left in his blindness, however. In verses 10 through 12, it says, In Damascus, there was, um, a, there was an, a, a disciple named Ananias. So the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. By the way, I'm sure Ananias didn't respond by saying, Yes, Lord. I'm sure he responded by saying, Yes, Lord. Can you imagine how freaky that would be? The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he was praying. In a vision, he has seen that, that is this man named Saul, Paul, has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. What happens here is beautifully reminiscent of what we saw in Acts chapter 8. If you remember the story of Philip, one of the many who were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, comes across or experiences instructions from the Holy Spirit to go to an Ethiopian that was in a chariot going along the road and specifically to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this person. Here again, the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to a follower of Jesus and saying, I want you to go. With Philip, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, I got somebody for you. Sit tight. They're coming your way. Same thing with Ananias. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, I got somebody for you. Sit tight. They're coming your way. In both instances, the Holy Spirit says what? Go. Remember we talked about that, about how Philip had to actually catch up with the chariot and engage and then be eventually let in? We see that again here. Let's read what happens here between verses 13 and 19. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about who this man and all the harm about this man and about all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, all the followers of Jesus like me. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Basically, a Gentile is someone who's not a Jew, 
and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he he has to suffer for my name. Then Ananias, in verse 17, went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I mentioned to you that that, that Paul himself uh, wrote 13 of the books, of the 27 books that are in the New Testament. One of those books that he wrote was was to the church in Rome, Romans. Romans is a fantastic book, just chock full of amazing and important theology that is an understanding of God. But there's a moment in Romans that I think you have heard probably before. You may have even said to others, or you may even have this on your wall or on a note. Look at this passage, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Paul says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Do you think that as Paul wrote these words, that he had Ananias in mind? Think about the impact that Paul had, the lives that were changed for the sake of Jesus Christ because of his ministry. Countless people for almost 2,000 years have engaged with his words in God's Bible. Yet none of that comes to be without Ananias hearing from the Holy Spirit go and then going. In order for an individual to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, in order for somebody to decide, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to make him the leader of my life, in order for somebody to do that, two things need to happen. The first is God needs to reveal that person's sin. But that's God's job. That's not ours. God is the one who reveals to others and to you and to me the sin in our lives. Because like we talked about, when we see our sin, it leads us to repentance. Because we see the need for a Savior. The second thing that happens in order for a person to become saved, to experience salvation through Jesus Christ, 
The second thing that needs to happen is someone needs to tell them the good news of the resurrected Jesus. Two things. God needs to reveal to someone their sin and then someone needs to tell them about the resurrected Jesus. The first one, God does, right? The second one, we do. That's up to us. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit never, ever fails from telling you to go. The Holy Spirit, we all have moments. Whether we would care to admit it or not, we all have moments where the Holy Spirit has clearly pointed someone or a group out to us and said, tell them about me. And we haven't. And the reason why is because we're afraid. We're afraid that they'll get upset, that we'll be shunned. We're afraid that, that we be, may be made fun of. But here's the thing. What did we see in both Acts 8 and in Acts 9? See, when God, when God reveals to someone their sin, and they see their need for a Savior, they are ready to hear the good news of the resurrected Jesus. God will do His part. When the Holy Spirit reveals somebody or a group to you and says, go, tell them about this good news. Know that God's already done his job. He's already revealed to them their sin and their need for a savior. And what they need now is you. tell them about Jesus so that they can respond and be saved. And so if we don't go, this is how it is. If we don't go, it's because we're not trusting God that he's doing his part. I'm going to invite you to stand and we want to take a moment and to respond and worship. I'll come back up and we'll do our decree that we do at the end of each service in the series. But even as I talked earlier, living a life as a Jesus follower in which you are faithful and courageous at going where he leads means that you are daily and willfully surrendering your rending yourself to him to come to come to him dependent on him for everything so together as we've done every week in this series we share this creed and invite you to please say this out loud with me here this morning we are the church we have received power from the Holy Spirit 
We are Jesus' witness to the world. And we will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. As I was listening to the song, I was actually reminded of something in this passage that we looked at that I had overlooked. When the Holy Spirit is prompting Ananias to go to Paul, and Paul or an Ananias is clearly concerned because he knows who Paul is and what he has done. The Holy Spirit makes clear to Ananias his plan and purpose for Paul. The Holy Spirit, God is telling Ananias in this moment, hey, I've prepared the way. You're going to be okay. There's a line in this song that we just sang that I, I, I love. It's poetic, but it's also very true. Earth has no pain. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. When we think about following the Holy Spirit's lead and going where he calls us to go, an understandable obstacle is the sorrow that we face. That's why it's important to remember that God recognized Ananias' sorrow, addressed it, and affirmed to Ananias that it's okay. I got this. I'm here, and you're going to be okay. We need to be reminded of that. That's a big part of what the church is about as well. And so, um, as the service is, is done here, I want to remind you too that um, we have a benevolent offering that happens the first Sunday of each month. Buddy's out in the commons and he has a little basket. You can just drop it in there as you leave. But I, I'm also going to remain up here and I want to invite any of our elders to join me. And if, if you would like some help carrying that sorrow, then I'm here for you this morning. And I invite you to come up to the front and either myself or one of the elders will pray over you as we journey together. Thank you so much. God bless. See you next Sunday.